Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 35 and uh, through 59 and hopefully finish up Luke chapter 12 here. Now, here in Luke chapter 12, the key focus is the return of Jesus. Now, this is not a teaching on the return of Jesus when it comes to prophecy being fulfilled and what the second coming is versus the rapture. If you're interested in that, I encourage you to grab a copy of our study through Daniel or Revelation when we got into that. What we have here in Luke chapter 12 is not so much the prophecy and the information about his actual return. It's about our heart being prepared for the fact that he is coming back. Because he is coming back. Now, when is he coming back? Well, no one knows. That's the hard part. You know, I've been saved. It'll be 20 years this year. And ever since I've been saved, I've been told he's coming back. And it's been 20 years. Now, 20 years in the whole scheme of eternity in God's time is not that long at all. 20 years in a human's life, that's starting to get to be a little bit of a chunk. And I tell my boys all the time when we talk about Jesus coming back, that we're going to go to heaven one or two ways. You either die and you go to heaven or Jesus returns. And the boys always say they want the one where it doesn't involve dying. And I say, I kind of want that one too. But my boys keep asking, when's he coming back? I said, I don't know. I said, it could be this second, could be this minute, could be this hour, this week, this month, this year, this decade, this century, this millennium. I don't know. But we live in an eager expectation of him coming back. And this is something we're supposed to have that spurs us on. If you will, we're actually not going to start in verse 35. Look at verse 54. It says, Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you cannot discern this time? Jesus is saying, as we have a responsibility to realize the time that we live in. Now, with that being said, you flip on the news, you watch the news, you can see the world is falling apart in front of us. You see it nationally, you see it world, you see it locally, you see it at your jobs, you see it in your families, you see it with your close friends and relatives. The world is falling apart. So what Jesus is saying is, we can predict the weather with some accuracy. We should be able to see this big event coming and realize Christ is going to come back. Once again, how does this affect our hearts? How does this affect how we live? So let's see. Verse 35, Luke 12. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants from whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. And surely I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat. And he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 40 is key. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour he did not expect. He is going to return. We don't know when, we don't know what day, but we know he is. What is our preparations for this? Well, our first step is supposed to be verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. That idea of waist be girded carries the idea of work. Back in Bible times, they wore these long flowing robes. So when a man was getting ready to work, he would literally pick his robe up, tie his robe there around his waist with a rope, and that's called being girded. The robe would keep itself from getting in the way, and his waist was girded, and he was ready to work. His lamp's burning. doesn't matter what time of day it is. He's got light. He's ready to go out and work. That's the mindset we're supposed to have as Christians, ready to work for the Lord. Here's problem number one. Most Christians aren't ready to work for the Lord. Now, we're willing to work for ourselves to fulfill our own desires and pleasures and our own little goals in life. But when it comes to working for the Lord, 
We struggle with that one. Turn if you go to Colossians, please. Colossians 3. We're going to be flipping around a lot today, but there's a lot of good verses to go to. Colossians 3. We have to make sure our mindset is a mindset as if we're working for the Lord. Colossians 3, please. Colossians 3 and verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, keep that in the back of your mind there, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Some of you today are going to leave and go to work. Some of you will get up and go to work tomorrow. You don't work for that company. You work for the Lord. That company may write out the name and the check and may pay you for services rendered and you use that money to pay your bills to live in this world, but you work for the Lord. You have that mindset of whatever you're doing, be it at home, be it at school, be it at work, your witness is you're working for the Lord. Too often you see Christians get this mindset that they're a Christian on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, and when they go to work, that's work. You got it totally backwards. Whatever we are doing... It is for the Lord. That's part of our witness. That's part of what we do. Why do we do that? Verse 24, knowing from the Lord that you will receive a reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Look at that last phrase. You serve the Lord Christ. And you'll be rewarded for that. Now, keep that word in the back of your mind, rewarded. Now, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But the first point is, we're supposed to be ready to work. The return of Christ spurs us on to have a heart and a mindset of working for the Lord, because we don't know when He's returning, and we want to be ready to work. Now, jump back here. Actually, go to First John, please. First John, because we're going to go to there next. So, our first point was being ready to work. Most Christians aren't ready to work. The next phrase here: most Christians aren't waiting and watching for the Master. As you're going to First John three. We're not waiting and watching for the Master. Look at all these words used in verses thirty-five through forty: wait, watch, ready, preparation. That there is something that we're waiting for. We know he's returning, and so therefore we're expecting this. We're waiting and watching for the master to return. 1 John 3 builds on this. It says in 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know when he is revealed we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, I know I'm going to see Christ. I know Christ is going to see me. That spurs me on to live a pure Christian life. My master is going to return at any moment, at any time. So point one, I work for him knowing that when he comes back, I want to be about his business. Number two, I want to be living a pure life. This hope purifies me. Because I don't know when he's coming back. And I want to be ready for this. Stay in 1 John and just jump back to chapter 2. Look at verse 28. 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He's going to appear. Are we confidently ready to meet him? And are we living a life that wants to meet him? Because we don't know when he's coming back. Do we have that work ethic? Do we have that mindset that I'm watching and waiting for the master to return? That spurs me on in what I do. Let's go to our last one here. 
Jump back to Luke 12, please. There's a word that's used, and I think it's very important, in verse 36. It says, And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. That word immediately. Most Christians, we don't move quickly. We don't. We know the master's coming back. We know he's returning. We don't move quickly on it. I mean, like for me, I've been saved 20 years. I mean, yeah, he's going to come back. So I'll be ready, you know, when he comes back. What happens if he comes back now? There is a, a, a urgency to this that we need to be ready for this. See, here's the thing. If God has laid something on your heart to do, then move on it. Don't sit there. Move on it. The one of the most dangerous things a Christian can say is, I know what I need to do, but... Now, wait a second. If you know what the Lord has laid something on your heart, and you know there's something you're either supposed to be doing, or you know there's something you're supposed to stop doing, there is an immediate reaction to that to say, my master could return, and I want to be ready for this. I want to be waiting for this. I want to be watching for this. So we know that Christ is returning. Number one, that spurs us on to be ready to work. Because we want to be girded and ready whenever he comes back. Number two, it helps us to wait and watch for him with a purity. Because when he comes back, I want to be living a life that's worthy of him. And number three, it helps me to move quickly because I realize time may be short. And I want to immediately respond to God. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say, once again, I know I should be doing better at this. I know I should be stopping this. Then move on that. Your master is returning and we want to be ready for that. All these things spur us on. Look back here at Luke 12, verse 40 again. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know when it's going to be. Verse 38, second watch, third watch. Those are Bible terms. Second watch was from 9 to midnight. Third watch was from midnight to 3. Meaning that you don't know. Since we don't know when He's going to return... It spurs us on. It purifies us. We say, I want to keep working. I want to be ready for this because I don't know. Now, what happens next? Verse 41, then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make rule over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him rule over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, that master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of strifes, shall not be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Now, if you look here at verse uh, 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. That kind of ties us into what we just talked about. I want to be working. I want to be living purely. I want to be moving immediately. I want to have this expectation of Christ is coming. I used to have a friend that had a shirt that he wore all the time that said, look busy, Jesus is coming. This idea of he's going to show up. And when he shows up, are you ready to see him? Now, why aren't we ready to see him? I think sometimes it's laziness. Did you check this out here, verse 45? If that master says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. See, we've already said Jesus is returning. Okay, yeah, when? I don't know. So you're saying it could be now? Yeah. 
You're saying it could be in a year. Yeah. Could it be in my lifetime? Well, I think so, but is it? I don't know. Well, I'm just going to relax a little bit. See, I'm the type of guy that if you say you're coming over to my house at 6 p.m., at 5.59, my house will be clean. Not a minute before. That is the way I move. That's the way I work. Now, if, if you set it up at dawn and you're coming over at 6 p.m., dawn the day before, we'll have the house completely ready. Dawn and I were both going to college about the same time when we were married. And I was the type of guy that if I had a paper due Monday, I, oh, probably Sunday about midnight, I should start that and get moving on it. Dawn would have it done the week before. I am spiritually lazy sometimes. And the thing is, if Jesus would come down and say, James, just a little hint, I'm not returning for 50 years. I'd be like, oh, good. As long as I don't die an unexpected death in the next 50 years, I'm okay. There's this laziness about us that we know that, and so therefore it doesn't spur us on. By Christ not letting us know when he's returning, it's always hanging over our head a little bit. Not to make us walk in fear, but to spur us on. Just like at work, I hope, there is a method to your work of constantly working hard because you don't know when the owner's coming in, you don't know when the boss is coming in. This is why we have pop quizzes in schools. You don't know when it's going to happen, so be prepared, be ready. You have inspections at work that sometimes you don't know. Be prepared, be ready. There's this mindset of the master may come at any moment. And so since the master may come at any moment, am I ready to meet him? Spiritually speaking, am I working hard? Am I doing what he's asked me to do immediately? Am I living purely? I'm ready to meet him. But this laziness brings on sin. Look at verse 45. If the servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. See, what happens is when I don't have this on my heart that Jesus may return, I become complacent and I become spiritually lazy. What's the big deal? This is here to spur us on. And that laziness reveals a heart that's not completely focused on Jesus. And so since I'm not completely focused on Jesus... I'm not really concerned about his return and when he's coming back. I mean, yeah, I talk about it. Yeah, I know about it. Yeah, it pops up. But it's not the driving force that drives me to be a light and a witness in all that I do and all that I say. That's the purpose here of Luke 12, is his return spurs us on to be different on how we live and how we act and what we speak and what we say. It spurs us on. So sometimes laziness keeps us from doing it. What else keeps us from being spurred on by this? I don't think we fully understand rewards and ruling. See, we talked about this in Luke 12, 48. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And we said back in Colossians 3, remember that word reward. See, you're going to be rewarded when Jesus returns, if you know him. You're going to rule and reign with him. See, now here's the problem. Some of us say, oh, I don't want the rewards. Some of us say, oh, I don't want to rule and reign. I just want to have Jesus in heaven. See, when you say things like that, it, it shows that you don't fully understand what rewards are in ruling and reigning. Because the rewards are very, very important. The rewards are not for us to walk around for all of eternity saying, look at me. Let me shove it in your face. Look what I did for the Lord. In fact, according to Revelation, the elders in Revelation take their rewards and they lay them back down at the feet of Jesus. See, those rewards show what I did for the Lord on this earth in my time that he gave me. And then for all of eternity, I get to give them back to Jesus. 
somebody at the first service came up and said a really neat point that I liked a lot. They said the reason we give them back to Jesus because we didn't earn them ourselves. It was the Holy Spirit working through us to even earn it in the first place. So those rewards are an opportunity for me to give back to Jesus as he returns and then he rewards me for all of eternity for what I did for him on this earth. I stop and I say, no, I didn't do this for me. I did this for you. Here, you, you take this. See, some of us sit here and say, well, I don't want the rewards. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I want the rewards. I want a lot of them. Not for me, but then to lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, look how I served you. Look how I gave for you, Lord. What about the ruling and reigning? There's some personalities out here that you spend all your life trying not to rule and reign. You don't want to do it. You don't want to be the one in charge. So you've got to remember this idea of ruling and reigning isn't necessarily being in charge. Once again, according to Revelation 20, we rule and reign with Christ. So when it says that we get to rule and reign with Him, it's not like, oh boy, for all of eternity now I have responsibility. I hope I don't screw this up. It's more like I get to be with Jesus, beside Him, serving with Him, serving Him, being right there with Him. What a beautiful picture that is to rule and reign with Christ. So when it says that we get to rule and reign with Him, don't run from that. Run to it. You get to be with Christ. It's like my boys. Whatever I'm doing, they just want to do it with me. And so they'll follow me around. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what you're doing for all of eternity. I just want to do it with you. So I just want to rule and reign with you. See, when we have this eternal perspective, I do want the rewards. Not for me, but for Jesus. I want to live a life faithful for him because I want to rule and reign with him. And I want that inheritance. That inheritance is salvation. That inheritance is spending time with Christ for all of eternity. I want that. So when the master returns, I want him to see me living a life that's working for him, being pure in him, and doing immediately what he's asked me to do. So that way I'm not ashamed at his coming, and I'm ready to meet him. And then when he returns, I can say, Lord, look what I've done for you. I've been faithful in the little things, and now you're going to bless me in the bigger things. Look at verse 48 one more time. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. See, if you want that ministry to grow, be faithful in the little things. A lot of times I see people want to start a Bible study. And they're going to start a Bible study and they immediately want 50, 60, 70 people to show up. It doesn't work that way. Be faithful in the little things. Show the Lord your heart that I'm willing to be faithful to one. The Lord will then bless that. And we're not doing this for our attention. We're doing it for the glory of the Lord. So, putting this all together, verses 35 through 40, show us that we're supposed to be ready to work for Him. We're supposed to be eagerly waiting and watching for Him. And we're supposed to have this idea of moving quickly. Verses 42 through 48 remind us that we're not supposed to get lazy, get complacent in our walk, and we're supposed to have this eternal perspective. Now, if we would just stop after verse 48, it'd be great. We'd have this little pep talk. We'd say, Jesus is returning. Get out there, be a light and a witness for him. And we'd all leave here pumped up, ready for the rewards and the ruling and the reigning and the serving. And I'm all excited. Problem is, there's verses 49 through 53. Verse 49, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. 
From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. See, when you get pumped up and excited and you're going to go out there and change the world for Christ now, verses 49 through 53, everybody's going to hate you for doing it. As soon as you take a stand for the truth, they're going to hate you for doing it. Now, we just covered these verses a few weeks ago, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But sometimes we misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings joy. Jesus also brings division. If you're going to make a true stand for Christ in this world, and you say, I know he's returning, and so from this day forward, I'm living every moment like it's my last moment for him, be prepared for people to hate you for doing that. That is just a fact. Because what happens, verse 52, verse 53, you make a stand for the Lord, not everybody in your house is going to like it. Your mom and dad may think you're idiots. Your kids may not like it. Your spouse may not like it. Fill in the blank, I don't know. You may be the only one on your line, your shift, that is a believer. They're not going to like it because when we speak truth, people don't like it. So what happens is there's division, verse 53. That's difficult. But if I truly believe that Christ is returning, and I truly believe that I am waiting and watching and this, the return can be immediate, then I'm not worrying about personal relationships. I'm worrying about taking a stand for the truth. And with that understanding, I realize as I take a stand for the truth... People are not going to like it. And as people don't like it, I need to be prepared for that. And sometimes it's even believers that don't like it. Because as you go deep in your walk with the Lord, people that were on the same spiritual level with you felt content around you. Now all of a sudden as you go deeper, some people are like, well, hey, you're taking this a little too serious. Let's all water it down a little bit and let's all feel a little bit better about ourselves. Division happens as you grow in the Lord. There's no way around that. No way around that. And that's why it's so important as a family that hopefully you grow together to have that blessing of growing spiritually. I remember years ago there was this one couple, and and I've lost track of them. They've moved away, and and you just lose track of stuff. And, you know, one time he would be on fire for the Lord. And then one other time she'd be on fire for the Lord. I remember telling him one time in marriage counseling, if you guys could just be on fire for the Lord together, it'd be an amazing thing. But he would be on crazy for the Lord, and then she wouldn't be. And the next thing you know, you just saw it like they were passing. And then all of a sudden, she's praying for her husband, and God's great, and God's going to heal this marriage, and he's not coming to church. And there's this horrible back and forth. I tell you, unity in the Lord on fire for Christ is such a powerful thing. Now, once again, if we would just stop after verse 53, now we can say, good, I don't have to care what people think about me. I can go out and just take a stand for the Lord. If people hate me, I can say, fine, hate me. I don't care. You hate me, well, you're going to hell. It doesn't make a difference anyway. See, that's the problem. We have some Christians that stop after verse 53, and they thrive off division. They love it. They absolutely love it. I have met Christians that speak truth. There's no doubt about it. But they don't speak love. The Bible makes it clear. You speak truth and love at the same time. I've run into many Christians who I do not doubt their sincerity on God's Word and the truth of God's Word, but they have no love on how they present the gospel and the truth of Jesus. Now, I've also met Christians that love everybody. Amen. But there's no truth. No truth in any way whatsoever. You believe what you want to believe. You do what you want to do. I just love you. God does. But there's also truth and standards and morals. We need to have truth 
with love. So yes, the truth is, as I speak the truth, division will happen. But I still love those people. The truth is, I don't compromise on truth just to have everybody like me. Because division will happen. So now, we have to get the full balance of this. Verse 57. Yes, and why even of yourself do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you should not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. Verses 58 and 59 are just a little strange. They're kind of like thrown in there. They really don't match up with chapter 13. And if you're reading it, it really just doesn't seem to match up with chapter 12. The connection is found from verses 49 through 53, connect us to 58 to 59. Because what it's trying to tell you is, it'd be really easy just to burn every bridge you have for the Lord and say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me and everybody's going to hate me anyway for being a Christian and I'm going to thrive off this hate because it means I'm doing something right. No. Verse 58, you're supposed to try to make every effort along the way to have peace with people. See, it'd be really easy when, when people mock you and speak evil of you, it'd be really easy to go down to their level. You know, I, I received an, 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 a contact this week from somebody and they said some kind of choice words about me. And it'd be really easy for me to go down to that level and say, oh yeah? But we can't do that. I can't sit there and say, well, you know what? My stand for Christ brings division. You hate me, bring it on. I'm supposed to try to make peace with them. I'm supposed to, according to verse 58, on the way to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. I'm supposed to love him. In fact, according to Proverbs, I'm supposed to be kind to him and do good works to him. Make him cookies or something like that. I mean, I'm supposed to be doing things here to build this bridge. That's a tough balance to find. Turn, if you with me, to Romans 12. Romans 12. What do you do when someone hates you for taking a stand for the truth? What do you do when you go up to that family member and you put your foot down and say, I love you enough to speak the truth? What do you do with those co-workers that you have to see every day for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day when you put your foot down and say, I need to speak the truth to you, and they hate you? They can't stand you. How do we find this balance then of making every effort to be at peace with them? Well, Romans 12 kind of gives us a clue here. I love Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament, just little short points. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. How much better would your life be if we just did verse 9? That's evil. I hate it. That's good. I love it. How simple is that? Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We talked about that. Jesus is returning. Let's serve. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let's stop right there, verse 14. If you heard me teach through Romans before, you know that word bless is important to talk about. That word bless is where we get our English word for eulogize. So what really verse 14 is saying is, eulogize those who persecute you and do not curse. I do lots of funerals. And one of the things at a funeral is, you speak of the person that's passed. Now, I'm not saying every person does this, but generally speaking, the vast majority of the time, you don't mention the bad stuff. It's the eulogy. 
You mention the good stuff. You, you find something good to say about that person. For some people, that's easier said than done. But you find something to eulogize them and to bless them and to say, we will miss this person. What verse 14 is saying is those people that hate you and persecute you, eulogize them. Find something good in them. And the only good you may find in them is God created them. That may be the only good you find. God says you cling to that. What happens in verse 14, as Christians, we go down to the level of the world way too often. You speak ill of me, I speak ill of you. You play hardball with me, I do it back. You call me names, I call you names. We're above this. The way we live, the way we work, the way we act, we are above that in our moral standards. We bless those who persecute us, and we do not curse, we bless them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 18 is what I wanted to get to. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. See, we just read in Luke that I'm supposed to make every effort on the way to the magistrate to make peace. See, it says right here in verse 18, if it is possible, number one, it may not be possible. I have met people in this world that don't want peace. They don't. They want to hold on to anger and resentment and bitterness and past hurts. And no matter how much you try to go build a bridge of peace to them and forgive and ask for forgiveness, they don't want it. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you, I only can do so much. If I'm trying to build a bridge to somebody that feels wronged by me or I have wronged or something, I can only build the bridge so far. So if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Yes, as you stand for Christ, it will bring division. It will bring division at home. It will bring division at work. It will bring division at school. It will bring division in every relationship you have. But when that division comes, there is also a biblical responsibility on our parts as believers to not allow that gulf to become so big that Christ can't bridge it. So I have a responsibility to live at peace with them, to build a bridge of peace towards them. If it's possible, they, they may not want it. But I'm still responsible to do that. Too often as Christians, when division comes, we say, fine, you didn't want it, I tried, I quit. No. Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jump back here to Luke 12, please. Let's put this all together. Verses 54 through 56. If we can give a short-term forecast, we should be able to decide that Jesus is returning. We can know that. So since we know that, verses 35 through 40 tell us to get ready to work. Gird your waist. Get out there and work. Be waiting and watching for the Master and move quickly, immediately, when the Lord lays something on your heart. You don't know how much time you have. Move on those things that God has said to do. Be it something to stop or be it something to start. We move immediately. Verses 42 through 48 tell us, laziness keeps us from that full relationship with the Lord. That laziness of, I don't know. I mean, yeah, He's going to return, but I don't know when, so I'm just going to take it easy spiritually. No, we never want to do that. Also, the lack of the eternal perspective. Rewards, ruling and reigning with Him. They're not for us. They're for Him. 
That's what we want to do is for him. We realize in verses 49 through 53, when I make a stand for the Christ, there will be division. It will happen. But I also realize in verses 57 through 59, I have a responsibility to try to live at peace with all people and do what I can as a believer to keep that bridge going. Now, we've covered everything, but there's one verse I want to go back and just hit one more time. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. And surely I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Did you catch that? When Jesus returns, we're watching and waiting for him. He's our master. And we immediately serve him. We do all those things we talked about. But, but according to verse 37 here, when Jesus returns, once we enter the realm of eternity, the Bible says in verse 37, he wants to serve us. Now think about that for a second. He already died on the cross for our sins. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us an eternity of inheritance of heaven. According to John 14, he's building mansions for us right now. But yet one of the things that Jesus wants to do for all of eternity is just bless us. So I can spur you on with all these verses today of work for the Lord, watch He's returning, and rewards and ruling and reigning, and don't get lazy. Yeah, we can do all those things. Verse 37 is what hit me the most. Jesus, you want to spend all of eternity blessing me, then I just want to bless you now. You've done, you're going to do all of eternity for me. These few decades I have on this earth, I want to serve you. I hope and pray that the idea of Christ returning is something that spurs you on to say, I want my life to be different. I want my relationships to be different. I want my witness to be different. Because if we truly believe that His return could be imminent, then I want to be ready for this. And as He is returning, I want to meet Him expectantly, lovingly, diligently, and purely in all that I do and all that I say. And that spurs me on on how I live here on this earth. My Master is returning, and I want to meet Him. And I want to be ready for Him. Marv, going to come forward here for the final song. As Marv's getting ready for the final song, let's just pray real quick. Lord, your word says that we're supposed to look under the skies for your return.